Hello and welcome to the podcast that talks all things football, all things Saints. Uh, tonight we've got a lot to talk about. My name's Callum Wilson. My name's Tom Murray and this is Under the Lights. Callum, how does that happen again? Oh, um, I don't have an answer for you. I don't think Ralph has an answer. I don't think the players, the fans. I mean, how early did you call it? Because I, I think as soon as it went to three in the first half, that's, that is immediately where my mind went. Um, I was thinking, just don't, just don't be nine, less than nine, because that was the way it was going. Mm. Um, there are lots of things we can we can talk about, and I'm sure we will talk about them all uh, through this episode. But there, there are all sorts of things that have culminated in that happening. Um, and although we thought we were going to get beat, and and I thought you know there would be a chance that we would get beat quite significantly, that was never on the cards. Um, that should never happen to any Premier League football team, let alone to the same team twice in 15 months. Um, it is an absolute disgrace. Three nine nils ever in Premier League history, Tom. Um, Man United have done it against Ipswich way back when, and no team had ever lost by nine goals. Some had come close. It happened to us at home to Leicester. And now it's happened to us again. I mean, for it to happen once, to lose 9-0, is an absolute nightmare. For it to happen twice, is just a joke. Uh, and I don't, I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. It's a complete joke. Um, I mean, who... I mean, we might as well just play the, play the blame game to start with. Um, who, who's got to take the flak? Whose fault is that? Well... I mean, one of the answers is staring at you in the face about 70 seconds into the match. You have a game plan, you set up for, you know, trying to keep the numbers down with what you got. And the kid who allegedly in the media hands in a transfer request wants his chance, gets his Premier League debut and does one of, I mean, Oscar Goburn well, would have been proud of that one. Yeah, uh, uh, that's fine. Uh, you know, the, the young lad is put in an awful tackle and he is responsible for his team going down to 10 men but teams go down to 10 men all the time I know it was early it was a, he was the fourth ever player to get sent off in the first what was it two minutes of a match okay great but teams go down to 10 men all the time and only ever seems to be Southampton that capitulate to losing a game 9-0 so uh, you know he, he's he is completely responsible for us going down to 10 men away at Old Trafford and having an uphill task and having to completely change the game plan. But he's not responsible for us losing 9-0. The players on the pitch after him uh, have that responsibility, along with him for letting down the side. Um, all the players involved, the manager, and I mean we'll go on to to we'll go on to why those players are having to play. Um, and we don't have any any kind of um backup or, or, or a squad while we've got two goalkeepers on the bench um, and a load of youth players, the only one being Nathan Redmond. Um, so, so yeah, we'll talk about Jankovic and we'll get on to him. But 
the guy is not the reason that that's happened um, and he's getting a lot of abuse um, and it, and he's a young lad and it's not warranted. And we'll talk about him. But what is what is the reason that we have conceded nine goals again? I put, I put out a tweet, I think, at, at three, four nil. Um, and it said something like, you know, we've been here before. Now is where we're going to see how much this side has progressed um, and matured since since that night last you know last October, October before last. And then at the end, it turns out that in that circumstance, we haven't progressed at all in terms of in terms of an ability to stand up and say no, this isn't happening, and not capitulating mentally. We were in exactly the same place. I think that there. I've seen many tweets that have said it's like the perfect storm, and I think there there isn't one particular reason that that result has happened again. I mean, I mean, thinking thinking about many reasons, and we'll we'll cover them all in terms of one. I want to I want to make the point that we play such an attacking brand of football that parking the bus is not really one that we're used to. But then again, we did that against City and against Liverpool and we kept them out and they couldn't create anything. And it was a really good defensive display. I think when confidence is low, we're very susceptible to conceding quick goals in terms of we can be we can concede one and then it can be two or three within a matter of minutes if that's just the way our confidence goes. I think. In a difference to the first 9-0, again, we can look at players. In the first 9-0, this was a sort of combination of poor form, the team in disarray. We didn't know what Hasenhutl was trying, a different style that, we were, that we'd never seen before with five at the back, and it just wasn't happening. There was the red card, and the players, as even Jack Stevens said, at like, at like five or six, you just down tools. Whereas with the team last night, they, they, I don't think they seem to down tools. It just seemed to be a case of in a, a combination of inexperience and obviously mental fragility. But I will, I mean, we'll talk about it later in the pod. But if I'm being completely honest, and I, the game doesn't finish nine if the correct call is made for the penalty. And now I know the difference between six and nine doesn't matter in terms of score uh, points on the table. It's three points for Man United, it's zero points for us, and our goal difference still takes a hit. But with about 10 or so minutes to go, we don't hit nine if Mike Dean makes the right call, which he didn't. But of course, we'll chat about that later in the episode. I, I, don't, I don't know if I agree with it. Um, and and the, reason, the reason I look at it a different way is every single fan and every single player, and Hasnertal admitted it in this post-match conference, um, that 9-0 was in all of our heads. I, I told you it was in my head at 3-0. I looked at Twitter. People were already saying, no, nah, this can't happen again. Ralph Hasenhutl was asked, was the 9-0 in your head? Is this the goals were going in? He said, yeah. The players, it was in their head. So all of a sudden, this mental fragility that I talk about, we, we know we lack leaders. Um and it took one person to stand up and sort them out, and, and no one could do it. When, when Bednarak got sent off and the penalty was conceded, wrongly or rightly, um, and that was, what was that, the seventh goal, you said? Wrongly or rightly, a ball came into the box that should have been dealt with, and Martial skipped through and was in the middle of the, the, middle of the box. You know, ball might have got away from him, whatever, 
the specifics are that even with Bednarak on the pitch, we were still scared shitless and were conceding chances that 10 men sat behind the ball shouldn't concede. So whether he's there or not, you know, he might have got a header onto one of those crosses at the end. and Maybe James doesn't score. Maybe Martial doesn't get a goal. But the fact of the matter is that he was part of that team that were down to 10 men at nil-nil. And by the time he does go off, it's six. Um, the, you know, the penalty will come onto all that stuff. But he wouldn't have single-handedly stopped. It was just inevitable. It was just going to happen. I even said, uh, when, I was watch- when I was watching the game, I said, um, and three minutes came up, and it was 8-0. And I said, it's going to happen again. Um, Vardy scored with the very last kick of the game. And we were all just thinking, don't do nine, because that's the record. Just not nine. Stick to eight. Thinking, just just take your time over this throw-in. Just boot it into the back of the stand, whatever. And the goal went in. As soon as three minutes came up, I thought, these lads will not hang on for that long. I mean, we had two of the young two of the young lads who had a throw-in. Ball went out, shepherded it out, and he went and stopped the ball. Instead of just letting it roll away for ages. I'm thinking, just, just waste some time, you know. I would even said take it to the corner. It matters that much to our club, not to concede nine again. We would have had Che Adams take it to the corner for three minutes to to, to save us an eight nil. So yeah, Benarak went off and he shouldn't have gone off. And going forward, hopefully that's overturned. Although I don't hold any hope for for the people that are in charge of the game at the moment because they're sucking the life out of it. But I don't think. Uh, of all those players that are on the pitch, Bednarak or no Bednarak, that ball was falling to the feet of Manchester United players in places that shouldn't have. And we were in disarray because we weren't we weren't organised. And as soon as the goals were going in, we were all thinking, oh shit, it's happening again. And I, I don't I believe that was in every single one of the players' minds. And because of that, that was always going to happen. Let's let's talk about uh, the obvious elephant in the room, and it's uh, it splits fans and media and everything else. Ralph Arsenal twice has lost a Premier League game 9-0. Um, varying circumstances for both the games. Should he remain in... You've got to ask the question. Should he remain in place as a Premier League manager? He's lost 9-0, record loss, twice. Um, and he's in charge. He's talk, he, he is motivating players... He is setting us up tactically. He is the one that is masterminding what's going on on the pitch. And um, I felt sorry for him watching, you know, every time something happened on that, he would just head down like the rest of us. You know, how much is he to blame? Um, And how long do you see him carrying on for? How much is he to blame? Well, yeah, he sets up the team and obviously... He, he needs to make sure that set up the team to make sure that they stay resolute and don't concede nine. I mean, to concede, to, as you said at the beginning, to concede nine goals in one game once is a nightmare for it, it to happen twice in the space of 15 months is unacceptable, really. I mean, it's it, it, it's just unprecedented. It just it, it just should never, ever happen. However, I saw a really I saw a tweet that I really, really agreed with. And it actually appeared on one of the BBC articles that I I read today. I would have, I would lose nine nil every season if I kept Ralph as manager. Now, obviously losing nine nil every season would be an embarrassment, but 
I agree with the precedent that he is the a he's a really, really, really good manager. Let's not forget that prior to our spate of injuries, we were up in the, the top four. We 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 were top of the Premier League for forty eight hours. No, no, no Saints manager before has ever done that in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, but we're not anymore. We're not anymore. And that's and that's the team that he's managing. So you know we could look back at when when we were doing all right, but it's over the it's over the, the course of an entire season, um, and tactically, he has shown yesterday against Leicester, and as the season's gone on and we've picked up injuries, that he hasn't been able to adapt what he does. He has one way of of playing, um, and like you said earlier, we're such an attacking side. We don't know how to park. 10 men behind the ball and, and, and try and get a result. You, he lost 9-0. It's, it's, that, that, that doesn't happen every day. And it's happened to his team twice. Um, I, know, I know we were good. And I know we were good for a short space of time. But it is, is it not clear that the way in which we play is going to bring injuries? He knew he had a, sh he knew he had a small squad. Um, he knew he was working the players probably harder than any other team gets worked in terms of tackles and distance covered and everything. And it's great to watch when our when our starting eleven are on the field and they're playing that game. We can beat anyone, but that starting eleven hasn't been on the field in the last two to three months. We're constantly getting injuries, and yeah, we're having to rely on the youth players now. But at what point do you have to react to the circumstances and the environment and this COVID season where we've got a game every three days? You know, when it's going well, Ralph's more than happy to play players like uh, Redmond and Ings and Romeo three you know, three ninety minutes in a week because it's getting us results. But then they end up getting injured and we miss them. So where where do you draw the line between? You know, we're great when we're great, but it's a huge risk. As Ralph said, at the I think it was after the, the Villa game, he, could, he would sign 10 players if he could. And yep. we, we all know that at the moment, every member of the club is pretty much operating with their hands tied behind their back. And Ralph would much rather have a bigger squad and said that he wants, you know, we don't, we don't have any money and we're not spending, spending <laughs> any money on players. And... I feel that with Ralph, and I don't want to be, I don't want to defend him for absolutely everything and like have rose tinted glasses, but I feel with Ralph, it's, I fear that if he gets sacked or if he walks, and I think walk him offering his, offering his resignation at some point is more likely than him getting sacked because it's, it's shown that the club do believe in him um, and his relationship with Martin Simmons is really, really good within the club. But I feel that his tenure, is always going to be mar marred by what if. What if we did back him? What if we did get him the players that he wanted? What if we did have the ability and the financial backing to for him to create the squad? Let's not forget that yeah. the, bulk, the bulk of the team that he's operating with now was also the team that was in a relegation battle for a couple of seasons ago. And he's managed to pretty... I know they're pretty much operating at their ceiling, as it were, but you just feel that if he did have the financial backing to build a side 
that would he, he like for every player to fit every single position to have two good options for each um, position who we can interchange and feel like that we're not weakening the side too much. It's a case of well, what could we achieve under Ralph? And at the moment, I fear it's going to be a case of if what as and when he does go, for whatever reason, it's it it, it really will be a case of well we never really knew what we could have achieved under Ralph, but he did the best with what he had. And at the moment, I don't think it would be good to sack Ralph because I just, or for him to, I think it'd be awful if he walked because he's integrated himself so much into the club. And who is there to take on the club? Eddie Howe doesn't seem like someone that I would suddenly be, as a realistic option, Eddie Howe is not someone that I would want coming into the club and think, great, we're going up a level. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so Ralph is, is our best option and by no means am I in the camp of Ralph out. I think, I think that is um, with, with what he's having to deal with and with it, having his hands tied behind his back and we'll get into that more, but you know, it, it's, it's all well and good saying the case of, Oh, what if, or what if he had some money or what if he was ever, you know, we don't, we don't, we know how we run. He knows how we run. Um, the, the owner doesn't put in any money. And if he did, we probably would have never got House in the first place. We probably would have paid out and got got a big got a bigger name. So I think you know all, all these ifs, buts, and and what ifs all don't really matter because at the end of the day, he knew what he had. And my my point is, he is well aware that he doesn't have the capacity to get another ten players. He knows what he's got. He knows how. Um, limited the squad is and how we don't have the money to buy a lot of reinforcements and he's got to coach the younger players which is which is great you know he's, he's great at that and we're happy with that but he knows his situation and he has and and in the season that we are in where we're playing midweek and then weekend over and over again he is well aware that working the players as hard as he has worked them to achieve what is phenomenal performance um, that we were seeing early in the season is going to have ramifications further down the line and he is going to lose players. And now he's kind of throwing his arms up in the air saying, well, I'm having to play the youngsters because we haven't got two players for every position. That's a first team player. We knew that going into the season. He knew that, but we only have one way of playing. So now, now we are stuck with the youngsters Um if we haven't got Bednarak, we're, we're going in with one fit and available centre-back away at Newcastle. We get to the point where I have no idea who was going to play there. Like, like we're, we're in that position now. So my, my point is, regarding Ralph, is that, yeah, we can say, oh, what if he had money? And he is a great manager and all this and the other. He is great. When we are good, we are fantastic. And that is when Ralph Hasenhutl is loved and is... Um, one of the best managers in the league and all this sort of stuff. But it feels to me like he does still have a lot of work to do on other parts of his game. Like when we go down to 10 men, not losing nine nil because his teams capitulate tactically last night, he proved that he was tactically inept in that situation. And he's done it twice. You know, once is a freak result twice is an issue with the setup and the personnel on the pitch. And yeah, he doesn't have many players to choose from and all that stuff. But the first goal comes because Danny Ings 
is playing left midfield and he doesn't track Wan-Bissaka. Why at that stage is Ralph Hasner to not saying, you know what, we've got Redmond on the bench. We need to play him there so that we can defend, you know, defensively set up properly. Because Danny Ings cannot play in that position in that kind of team sitting back. And, and I know it's you know using one using a sub early on, and then well, we've got his youth on the bench, but that's where we are. Um, and it just seems to me like we're getting all these injuries, and we don't know why. But we are going to get all these injuries because of of the the calendar and the fixture list and the schedule and the way in which we play is so high intensity. I mean, he he said in the um, the Shrewsbury FA Cup tie, he said that. He, he feels like something that is contributing to these constant muscle injuries is the fact that we don't have access to um, the facilities at Staplewoods, like the swimming pool and the, I think the, the cryo chamber and all the stuff for recovery, which completely makes sense. And that must be a COVID thing. So players who would usually recover in certain ways aren't able to. Not only play more games, but they aren't able to recover. So why is he complaining that all we have is youth players when he's playing the same starting eleven three times in a week over Christmas? You know, he's 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 got to see the bigger picture. And when it's going well, brilliant. But when it's when it's not, you've got to look at the man in charge as well. Because when, you know, when we're on top form, we're playing Arsenal football and it's fantastic and we're all praising him. But when we're not playing well, that comes down to the manager as well. One question that I really want to pose to you here, and I don't want to sound like too too positive and everything is I'm living in some rosy world, but think about it just for this this question for just how big is that if is is the nine nil defeat? Because just just thinking about putting it into context, the Man United game yesterday was always a free hit, always a game that we just wanted to get out of the way. We didn't expect to win with all of our injuries. We didn't, ex- we just, it was a case of getting through it, keeping the st- score down, which we didn't. But at the end of the day, if we now go and win against Newcastle, we, and we would have the same number of points this week as we would have done if we'd lost 1-0 to Man United. We currently still sit, depending on games this evening, but we still sit a game in hand and four points off sixth place. How big is the 9-0 defeat? I'm, I'm, it, the scoreline is embarrassing, but in terms of a case of we move on, the Leicester one was cataclysmic. This one, I just don't feel is the same because we know we can play. I, I think it's still going to have a massive impact. I think it's just, it's different to the last 9-0 because last time there was something that Ralph could do about it. He could change his tactics. You know, we've been crying out for him to change it and he, and he did. He went, dropped the three at the back and he went to, to the four, two, two, two. That has been so successful since. And we haven't looked back. Um, and, and the board stuck with him. And we, you know, everyone at the club from players up to the, to the board should be commended for it. But this time, I don't see that there is any obvious change. Uh, we, you were in, we were in a relegation battle last time. We're not this time. Um, you know, this, this result isn't in keeping with the season we've had. And although we have been out of form the last sort of 10 or so games um, with a lot of injuries, I think this 9-0 has an impact, but but just in a different way. I, I think this is more of a message to the board. It's almost, it's almost like, a, d- does this, you know, this needed to happen last time 
for Ralph to free the shackles and and play the way we wanted to play. This time, it's almost like that watershed moment to the board where we say, right, we were doing what we could with absolutely no backing whatsoever, but now we've just been absolutely hammered. And um, it's a culmination of everything that has been moaned about by fans um, and, and Ralph and, and whoever else that we don't have the squad to cope. And you've, yeah, Ralph can say, you can, you've seen what I can do with the right players, but can't, they can't do that for a whole season, especially not this season. Um, yeah, whether, whether the owner will give a shit and, and uh, look at, you know, he, he, he apparently wants to sell anyway, but I, you know, I, think, I think this time the 9-0 and the anger that will come from the fans will be focused towards the board because we know what Ralph can do um, and he hasn't been backed. And if there is investment, like you said, if if woulda, shoulda, coulda, if he wasn't uh, given a bit of help, some investment, then maybe we could keep those levels, not as they were early in the season when we were top of the league, but we'd be able to deal with losing players to injuries. Um, right now, we can't. And, and, you know, like you said, we've got Newcastle next and it's an opportunity to maybe get back past this because, the, you know, the team have done it before. But last time it happened, Ralph still had those players. Even though his team was performing badly, he still had his best squad. He is still barely, barely scraping a bench. You know, with two goalkeepers, Nathan Redmond and a load of youngsters. So I think it's a massive result. I think for it to happen again, it just shows that it wasn't a freak result. There is that mental fragility in the team. There is a lack of tactical awareness and how to stop that from happening. Um, and I never thought I'd ever see a game again where every single attack was going to be a goal. And not just a, not just a, any goal. They were scoring from six yards out in the centre of the goal. So, yeah, to answer your question, I do think it's going to have a big impact. I don't think this is something that can be brushed over under the rug. Um, I just don't see how there can be an, um, such, such an obvious immediate turnaround of fortunes because of this. Um, but, and, and I mean, we, we talked a lot about Ralph and I think we're both in the camp of saying, you know, he needs, he needs to stay. Um, if we lose him, we could be in bother. Uh, <laughs> not just this season, but, you know, future seasons. I just want to talk about briefly before we go into other things, and before we, we talk about the officiating and Jankovic and everything else, I just want to talk about the players because there are players here that played in both games. There are players that I wouldn't say necessarily down tools, but I don't, I don't feel like we've had that leader for a long time. And with Hasenhutl, I don't know if he would have mentioned the 9-0 at halftime, but it was on his mind. I think it would have been on the players' minds. And I would have liked to have thought that he'd said something at halftime to say, look, we're not the team that we were 15 months ago. This is a very similar half that we've just had to that Leicester game. Now you boys are going to go out there and show everyone that we've turned a corner. And actually, we didn't concede a goal for, what, 15, 20 minutes after. In fact, we scored one, um, which was disallowed. Um, and Che Adams had a glaring opportunity put over the bar a goal went in for five and then another one for six and then all of a sudden it started going downhill so 
Ralph can only do so much, but it's down to the players on the pitch. And we need not just one, not just Ward Prowse as our captain, but we need two or three players to turn around and say, lads, this isn't happening. This isn't good enough. You need to do your job. This is what we need to do. We need someone managing on the field because Ralph can only do so much. And the players let us down last night, um, the ones that were left on the pitch. And before we go saying, oh, you know, Ralph's got just youth players and he's got nothing to rely on. This was a, this was the lineup. You know, Jankovic goes off and we're down to 10 men at Old Trafford. It's not going to be easy, but you do not lose 9-0. We had McCarthy in goal. 239 professional appearances. Ramsey, who's only had six, he was he was the uh, he was the 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 youngster, the the guy who hasn't played too many games. Stevens, 166 games. Bednarak, 131. Bertrand, Champions League winner, 386 appearances. Armstrong, international, 301 appearances. James Ward Prowse, 252 appearances. All with. Hampton, Epo, 76 appearances. Che Adams, 284. Danny Ings, 247. England International. Nathan Redmond came off the bench, 324 appearances. It, I could blame it on having an academy, but those were on the bench. I know we didn't have the backup. You know, we didn't have more players with that experience to bring on. Perhaps these ones are tired because they're the only ones that we can rely on week in and week out. But he had players who have played a lot of football matches. And a, a 10 men with that kind of resume shouldn't be capitulating the way they are. And they did. There's something to, within those players, and there's a mental fragility. And it, it, you, you've got you've to notice it, because how long did we go where we were struggling to win a home game? It got in our heads to the point where we almost walked out knowing that we weren't going to win. And, and it got into our heads, and it was all this whole, oh, well, at home, we're not very good. Why? There's no difference. The, the players, there's no leadership on that pitch and the players need to stand up and be counted and someone needs to just say, lads, we're, we're not a shit football team. We've got one less player. We need to man up and we need to represent the football club because uh, they get paid well enough to do it and to lose 9-0, not once but twice, is unacceptable. And I think the players need to be looked at even more than the manager. I completely agree. We need to have leaders out there on the pitch and, you know, you've still got all of that experience on the on, on the pitch as well. The likes of Armstrong, the likes of Stevens, the likes of um, McCarthy and goal, War Prowse. There's certainly enough players on that pitch where you're thinking it's not all down to the academy lads. These are still Premier League players that shouldn't be losing uh, by nine goals to nil. I have, I, and I don't want to keep on trying to deflect the blame off them because I feel that one particular reason is that we did start the second half really quite well and then we did get a goal back. And I just feel that after the Villa game, to have that goal chalked off, I thought that was a real hit to the to the morale of the team, if I'm being completely honest. I know that, and then they went on and conceded a couple more. I feel that that disallowed, disallowed goal, um, that would have made it 4-1. We're not getting back in the game. We're not going to get anything from the game. But I feel that it's a, and we'll talk, again, we'll, we'll discuss it later, but I just feel that, I mean, obviously you need to have the mental strength not to let, not to go and concede nine. But I just feel that for a goal that had such little significance on the final score, for it not, for them to rule it out by the barest, barest of margins, we don't even know what it does. Looking at the replays, it doesn't even look offside. I think after that, you're just thinking, well, what's the point? 
all right, I know you need to be thinking better than that and they get paid for that. But some, I think a lot of fans, I did especially, when that goal was disallowed, I just thought, what's the point in playing? And by the time we got to like seven, I think Stuart Armstrong got booked for time-wasting, kicking the starting the starting the game off again from kickoff because he just was thinking what's the point in playing he even did he, he he even did Bruno Fernandez's little hop skip and jump that he does for penalties for the kickoff he was that like I, I he just like I can't be asked so yeah I thought he might have said something you know to get that book in and he, even from that kick he passed it backwards and I think it was Stevens usually gets the kickoff just booted it straight into the stand um, with no one up there as if to say, you know, and that, and that was that was towards the referee because of the penalty. We'll go on to that. I get what your point is regarding the 4-1 because at that point, the 9-0 is no longer an option and it's it and, and it's a weight off of their shoulders. Whether they should be thinking like that, whether they should have the mental strength to to put that out of their minds and play football is, is, an, is another question altogether. But yeah, we're not going to get back in the game, but it goes from 4-0 in the first half to... We're winning the second half, 1-0. We've scored a goal, a good goal. Um, che Adams is, is, is hit it straight in the back of the net and it's 4-1 now. So let's 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 play the game. Let's put the first half behind us. Let's play the second half. Maybe we can get another. Maybe we can win the first the half. You know, and all of a sudden there's always a bit of belief. Che Adams scored are oh, brilliant. You know, that's a good response from the lads. And I've got more about them than we had go and this isn't going to happen again and then when you see play I think oh it's close but good good he's on side you know we can replay so it's going to stand and then the lines come out and you're like yeah yeah well, yeah that, that's his foot and it's going across Chadham's hand so yeah he's on side you can see it naked eye he's on he's on side he's behind the defender so um yeah brilliant and then the line comes down and it appears the wrong side of the line and, he, and it's given offside and you just, I was the same as you, I just went, what is the point in this game anymore? Um, and let's let's move away from, from the decision because that is, a, we're going to talk all decisions um, in a moment. But yeah, the 4-1 would have been significant. Um, and, and I also feel like the players had, had worked hard second half to, to turn that around and get that goal um, and create that belief, and then that is taken away from them. And, you, and, and you'd forgive them for thinking, you know what, we can't catch a break. We've just scored a goal. They've taken it away from us. We're 4-0 down. The goal has no significance, no bearing, as you say, on the actual result. Just gives us something when we're down and um, we're almost out. And Mike Dean and, you know, whatever his name is, Mr Child on the, on the VAR, take that away from you after an agonising wait and you think this is just isn't our day we can't especially after Villa we can't catch a break because um, I was thinking I think we got to almost I think we were in mid-60s for minutes and I went I'm still only 4-0 we're no longer conceding a goal every 10 minutes which is what I was starting to look out for it's like okay 55 minutes we're still only 4 oh 60 minutes okay it's only 4 we're kind of in this game it's not going to happen bang 5-0 bang 6-0 two quick goals I was like, oh, shit, here we go. But, yeah, w without without saying, oh, you know, ifs, buts and maybes, that that goal stands, maybe it's a different story. But the fact is that it didn't. And those players didn't down tools necessarily, but they just seemed to com completely crumble under the pressure of a potential 9-0. 
Um, and that's the reason we lost 9-0 in the end. Yeah, and again, I'm not trying to excuse the fact that we've conceded nine goals because, you know, foot decisions go against teams in every in every game and you don't see the collapse that we saw against Leicester and we saw against Man U. I mean, there were I can't remember any decisions particularly in, from the Leicester game that stood out, but for the Man United game, it really was there, 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 there were just there were just a few of them. We'll, we'll talk about them, and I think we should move on to them in 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 a short while. But I feel that it, they obviously the mentality obviously took a major hit. I feel that if that goes against me, I'm feeling after you know getting yourself back into the game. Well, not getting yourself back into the game, but you know making inroads as you said, try and win the first half. What so what we lose six one six two, but we've you know we've given it a good go. We finally like scored a goal from open play. It's, I know it wasn't even from open play; it was a free kick. But um, but we've got something that we can go like, look, guys, this was this game was a write off. First half was rubbish. We've pulled something out in the second half. We've responded. We've done well. And then it goes against you and you just feel like all the air has just been crushed out of you. And you're thinking, well, lads, what is the point? And you're then just, you know, deflated and demoralised for, for the rest of the game. I feel, but obviously we've conceded nine. So yeah, we've conceded nine and it's it's happened again, but we have to move on. Yeah. Um, and, and you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, what, what does this nine nil mean to us? What impacts it going to have? Um, we haven't won in however many games. We're falling down the table and we've just lost 9-0 again. He might want to cut his losses or he might, well, he might want to get out whilst there are no losses because he might have been thinking, oh, we were top earlier in the season. Brilliant. We could finish maybe in Europe. And then maybe that's a good time to sell. Is, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Might, you know, we're not too far off, but the way we're playing doesn't look like it's going to happen. Is, is he now going to try and sell the club even more than he supposedly was before? Um, I've, I've read that there are there are people there are companies interested buyers that are interested um, and the company that we're looking into that they had sort of an exclusivity period um, so it might all have fallen together at the right time the net spend per season is minus 0.6 million so essentially like we've like we've known really we have to sell in order to buy the only team that was lower than that was Norwich and you've got to consider that um you know, and then minus one million. You got to consider that they've spent a fair bit of time in the championship, where the spending power isn't isn't necessarily the same. Burnley have spent ten point five million a season. Burnley, um, you go further up. Watford, nineteen million a season. They're in the championship. Wolverhampton Wanderers, thirty-seven million a season net spend. Look where they are. Bournemouth, twenty-six point seven million spend. You know, and although we don't want to be being stupid. Like we, like some teams have been, and Bournemouth have lost loads of money and then got relegated. You know, Brighton, thirty nine point five. I mean, we're you know, and then you go up to the Man Cities of this world, who are just you know, hundred million. But the fact is that all these teams are spending more than we are, and Ralph is, Ralph can't get players in unless he sells players. So how's he ever supposed to improve the quality of the side without losing quality in the first place? You know, and 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 that's through buying players that are cheap now, but he hopes to mould into useful, valuable players in the future, like the likes of Che Adams and um, Cole Walker-Peters. But he had to lose Matt Target to get Che Adams. And now we're screaming out for someone like Matt Target who can play both fullback roles. So the fact of the matter is that we will go nowhere but backwards until we get someone 
who can invest anything into the club. I'm not talking, you know, we don't need another shake from the Middle East. We just need someone who's going to contribute anything other than having his name um, on the shares of the club. And a, a, a lot of fans uh, well, yeah, have, have started a kind of a bit of a campaign to get Gao out. I mean, where do you sit on it? Do you, do you hold him completely to blame? I mean, the transfer, the January transfer window was an absolute joke. While we were trying for four or five different fullbacks on deadline day, when we've known that we needed a fullback since the summer, is completely beyond me. So everyone's to blame. My, my personal stand on it with, with, with the owner is, yeah, we need investment because we're not going to go anywhere without investment. Um, I feel that we could, obviously we could have... Uh, it, we could have it a lot worse. We could have someone who's physically asset stripping and, um, you know, we're not in administration. We are, our financial situation doesn't look as awful as some of the other clubs out there, but also for where we are, for if we want to compete in the Premier League and continue to not fall. I mean, if we get, if we get, if we get relegated, it would be a nightmare. And if you're going to survive in the Premier League, you have to keep up with the other clubs. Yes, money doesn't equal success in terms... Uh, to look at Fulham. They spent loads, but they can afford to spend loads because they've got a, an owner who is rolling in it. With Saints, it's a case of you need to still be keeping up with the times, improving the squad, because eventually you will get caught out if you keep on going with the same, oh, we'll sell to buy, because eventually it is going to bite you on the arse. And, and are, we, are we perhaps being greedy, you know, are, are we, you know, and you make a good point. A lot of teams are worse off than we are. You know, we're working off of a zero budget, essentially. And, and we still had a decent season up until now, very good start to the season. And like you said, investment is what's needed to push forward. Are we, are we maybe just being too optimistic and too ambitious by thinking that we deserve to move forward, we we can move forward. Is the fact that we've got such a good manager who's who's creating so, so many decent performances out of so little? Like you said, if we backed him, what could have happened? You know, what could have happened is that we could have got into Europe. Um, you know, maybe even top four if he's backed. But should we just be happy with what we've got? Um, we're not relegated. We're in the Premier League every season. Um, you know, we get to watch fantastic football, but we want more. You know, we're getting that with Gal. You know, maybe two or three extra men on the bench or in the squad would help. Not asking much, but you know, are we are we maybe are we maybe looking beyond um, our state by saying you know we should get someone who can invest? Do you think how much of that is down to the fact that we've got that manager sitting there and we we're, we're thinking we we could tap into something here? I think that is a lot. Uh, th that can be looked into a lot because another way of thinking it, we have played fantastic football now for about collectively over the last couple of seasons for maybe about a year. And that's one out of maybe the last four years where we've actually played good football. We got very lucky with Koeman in terms of the squad gelled immediately. We got very lucky in terms of we bought players from all over the world and they came together and they were fantastic. Yeah, they dropped off in the middle of the season, but they still finished strong and, you know, we qualified for European football. The chances of bringing in 10 different players or so like we did then and for them to gel in an instant is a case, is a one in a hundred situation. And another way of thinking about it is that 
um, we then from that moment thought that we could continue to do that. And it didn't work. We kept on thinking, oh, we can replace for cheaper. And we no, no, this is no disrespect to Nathan Redmond, but we got rid of Sadio Mane and replaced him with Nathan Redmond, who is clearly not the same standard. And I feel that then it sort of caught up with us. I feel now that we've had a taste of what it is. We've had under Kuman, we had a taste of what it is to play really good football. Under Pochettino, we had a taste of what it's to play really good football. And with Ralph Hasenhutl, we've suddenly seen that yes, we can get back to those heights and play brilliant football. The fans want to see entertaining football. Ralph brings that. It's just the fact that we have an opportunity to push ourselves even higher. But the fact is, at the at the moment, we we as seen by the squad. We just do not have the squad to do that. And that is because we keep on ha having these restraints. Ralph wants to sign players. I mean, come on. I like the signing of Minamino. I think it's a good signing. He's a good player that's come available and we got him. But we did not need him. In terms of players on the pitch, we needed a fullback. Minamino is a good signing and I'm excited to see him play. But as good as our strike force can be, we're not going to do anything if our defence is as thin as paper yeah and he was um you know not, not for any not for one minute do i think minamino was a target a month ago um or a top target he's he's we just couldn't come in empty-handed so they managed to get anyone in any position that was half decent um and because they couldn't find a fullback on the last day because it was seemingly left to the last minute um you make a really really good point um and and you can break it down like this really so i think Southampton fans have seen how easy it is to be successful in the Premier League. Um, it doesn't need a lot of investment. And, and, and we've seen the so both sides of the coin. We've seen how great it can be with Pochettino, Koeman, playing fantastic football with really good players that we bought on the cheap, but we had that scouting system that was just so good. And then we the other side of the coin where we've lost all of our players that didn't work anymore, like you said. And we've had a defensive manager's boring football and um, and lacklustre players in comparison to what we had before. And we've gone from finishing in the top six to being in relegation battles for two or three seasons. We've seen that. Finally, the board have got a manager in who's back where we need to be. And we know what we need is a manager who's talented, um, not afraid to attack and can just have a, a full squad, really, with a couple of really decent gems. You, you know, you, your Ringses and your and your um, your War Prouses and you know Diallo and just a few of those sorts of players. And we've got a good side. We're just lacking in depth. It's been said a million times. We're looking for someone to come in and get us a fifty million pound striker. Get us a. £50 million centre midfielder, I guess a £50 million centre-back um, and a few other players. We're not asking for a transformation. We're asking for bodies of quality for when our high-tempo pressing game catches up with us, which it is doing, especially in this COVID hit season with games here, there and everywhere. So, yeah, I think you make a great point. And, and I certainly have felt that even looking at other clubs and seeing how badly they're doing, I've been able to see just how easily you can get it right and just how, how easily you can cock it up with decisions at the very top, like replacing Koeman with Claude Puel and, and getting Pellegrino and Mark Hughes in. We've seen how, how stupid it is when everyone, all the fans are going, why are we going for this guy? We just need to get in 
an attacking manager. We need to do this, we need to do that. And we've just seen how easy it is to get into the top eight. And again, if we had a squad, I don't think we'd have a problem getting into the top eight. We've seen what we could do with the squad at the beginning of the season and a quality manager. It's just not sustainable with such a small squad. And now that's now we're seeing the 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 other end of the stick and 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 um and it's pretty blunt because the side that we've got now we're relying on youth players that potentially you know so many youth players they're not all ready for for first team football they're not all good enough but that's that's what he's stuck with um so yeah at, at the end of the day we 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 need a bit of investment we don't need loads but we just need a squad and a bit of depth and that's all we're asking for but we couldn't even get a full back on loan over the line so what so you know when you're in that position you've got to be asking questions of of those in charge yeah I think you 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 really do have to, and the fact that we haven't been able to bring in those uh, that fullback, that we we just needed a fullback. That's that's the one position that we needed, um, Callum. And now, as I said before, nothing against Minamino, exciting player. I think he'll do well. I hope he does well, and I hope that when we get to the summer, we'll be really annoyed that we haven't got an option to buy for him because that would have shown that he's done really really well at the club. However, I'll tell you, what, I'll yeah. tell you why we ha- sorry, I'll tell you why we haven't got an option to buy. It's because there's no intention of buying him because we won't have we don't have twenty million to spend on him and you know he's that's what it's going to cost really mm. so um, we're loaning him for a little bit. Um, I must say as well, just just going back to, to to reasons why we did or didn't do well against Man United. I've just got to say that and and I know we can't on one player. But I'm I'm just it, it amazes me really compared to last season, but I. I'm starting to think that Yannick Vestager is as important to this team as Danny Ings is. Um, because I I think Man United scored from a lot of crosses yesterday. Um, and those crosses don't end up at the feet of centre-forwards in the box if Yannick Vestergaard is in the team. And you know what? I also think he's a leader. I think he stamps his authority. And, and you know, not only is he a, a colossus and, and someone that you could sort of follow... Um, but he just in the way that he plays, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to be a talker. But when the ball's coming in the box and he's putting his head on it, or he's winning the last ditch tackle, or he's starting the, the attacks, having him back will make a huge difference to us. And of all the players that we miss, he is, he- well, head and shoulders above the rest in more ways than one. But uh, as soon as he comes back, that, that will be a huge for Saints and I'll tell you now if he was playing yesterday that 9-0 doesn't happen one one player that was today to get back on track was Alex Jankovic um, it was it was widely reported that he'd handed in a transfer request uh, him and his agent because he wasn't getting the first team football that he felt he deserved he got his opportunity and um, within two minutes he's put in a challenge that I cannot understand whatsoever. Um, <coughs> either he wants to put his stamp on the game, you know, literally did, but whether, you know, he's young, he's at Old Trafford, he's making his debut, he wants to hit the first man he can get to, he wants to show everyone what he's about, show his presence. And maybe he's over exuberant, and maybe he's naive because he hasn't gone for the ball there. No way in the world anyone can tell me he's gone for the ball because he's nowhere near it. He's gone to put on me and he has and he got sent off and 
dare I say it, Mike Dean actually got that right. It, 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 I can't imagine how he would have got it wrong. But the other, the cynic in you could say, and, and some people have said it, could say that he wanted a transfer request. He didn't get it. He got put in the team. And he's kind of just said, you know, two minutes in, bam, you know, you're, you're down to 10 men, um, put an awful challenge in on someone and has got himself sent off knowingly. Um, but it's just a theory that I've seen that's been going around a little bit because it's so soon after the whole transfer request denial. Um, and if that is the case, then that's not someone you want around your club. But without knowing the lad and without knowing the situation as as the players and the manager would, you've got to give them the benefit of the doubt. And what you cannot do as fans or as anyone is to give him the abuse that he's received since that red card, the racial abuse of a 19-year-old lad who has most likely just been over-exuberant. And yes, he's cost his team, but he'll learn. And yes, we're disappointed. And yes, he will get it in the neck from Arsenal and probably already has. But some of the idiots out there that have gone straight onto social media behind their screen, these keyboard warriors who are calling him all the names under the sun and getting after him, someone gets involved and they get outed by Twitter or by the authorities. They'll be, um, their little white wife fronts will be turning brown, I guarantee you that, because they're all just little keyboard warriors. And uh, most of the Saints fans and I don't even think these are Saints fans, a lot of them, but most of humanity will be looking down on them for what they are. Um, and we'll be back in Yankovitz to, to put it right, because that's what he's got to do now. Um, and hopefully we see him again in some way, shape or form. By the time he's back from his ban, we'll have our centre midfield back and Ralph Arsenal might decide that, that he doesn't want him. But um, it absolute disgrace the way he's getting treated. What did you make of... Everything, the challenge, how it affected us, um, these theories flying around and, of course, you know, what's happened since on social media. First of all, to address the stuff on social media, it's an absolute disgrace. No one anywhere in the world, football otherwise, should be receiving that kind of abuse. And I hope that whoever is in charge and that whoever is behind it, I hope that they all basically get the really hard fist of consequences coming down on them because it is abhorrent it has no place anywhere in any walk of life in terms of the theories no i i don't think he's gone out to get himself deliberately sent off um if anything you're thinking you're getting a start at old trafford against man united the theater of dreams if you really want to go you strut your stuff on the pitch and you show the world you you get someone who wants to be knocking on the door of Southampton and being like you give us this kid we will give you this money you sell him to us that's how you get out by playing your football I don't I think there are a lot of things a lot of theories going around about a lot of things to do with last night get Jankovic getting himself sent off deliberately no he's had plenty of opportunities before that to get himself sent off deliberately if he really didn't want to be here he came on against Aston Villa he got a chance he didn't get himself sent off then in fact I thought he played pretty well Man United away at Old Trafford it's the perfect place to show you show off your skills and what you can offer and I was actually really looking forward to watching him play because I thought I think he's a good talent and I thought he this would be a really good chance and he may surprise a few people with just how good on the ball he is I think he's got 
he's full of testosterone. He's got himself really excited. Two minutes in, he's mischimed the challenge. It's an awful challenge. And you've, you've, you've given Mike Dean a chance to get the red card out after 70 seconds. And Mike Dean will love that. And he would, he got that red card out as quickly and as flamboyantly as he possibly could. But in terms of Jankovic, no, he's not got himself delivery sent off. It's a really stupid tackle. It's maybe just, as you said, over exuberance. It's unfortunate. Ralph will also will obviously be very disappointed with him, and I'm sure the rest of the team would have told him what for uh, about that because he's essentially he's ruined all of the preparation for the game. It goes out the window inside 70 seconds. He was silly with the challenge, and um, yeah, I hope we see him again in a Saints shirt. I think he's got a lot to offer, and I hope that this was just one time where he's been a little bit stupid. And uh, that, that's the word I was about to say. Ralph Hasenhüttl described it um, as stupid, and. Uh, you know, I agree. He se he seems to be the one from the youth academy that's got the most the most noise that's being made about him, and he, and, and and there's a lot of talk about how good a footballer he is. Um, I think it's it's it might be really unfortunate for him that it it all happened so soon after the whole transfer request. The picture with an attitude with an agent that's maybe pulling him in the direction. Finally, gets his chance. Does that after two minutes. I mean, how do you explain the challenge, though? Because I don't buy the, the, your notion that it was mistimed. I mean, he is, it is so high and the ball is, is not high. It's not it's barely off the ground. He, he's coming to hurt the player. I mean, that's why it's a red card. He's hit him on the, on the upper inside of the thigh. Um, I mean, he, he's closer to McTominay's balls than he is the actual football. So how, so how can you... I'm trying to find a way in which you can explain... Yeah, I could I, I could get it if he came charging in, slide tackle, didn't have control of his body, and he's wiped him out, and you're like, that was silly. But he's on his feet, and he's and he's just studded him on the inside of the leg. Uh, just how do you explain that? It's inexplicable. Yeah, no, I, again, it, it's a really difficult one to 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 really find an answer to. It, but then again, who knew what Oscar Goburn was doing when he two-footed the Bournemouth player? We it, even he even he probably can't answer what he was trying to do. And yeah, I think quite literally, as you said, he's trying to make his mark on the game. He's made a mark on McTominay. Literally, it, 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 yeah, yeah. It, it, it's some. It, it's really unfortunate that it's happened. I don't buy that he's done it on purpose in terms of trying to get himself sent off. It is a red card. It was the only call, pretty much, that Mike Dean got correct all evening. And um, yeah, is that a way he could force a move though? I mean, you know, if, if if playing devil's advocate, he's he's clearly put a ch put in a challenge that is has no intention of winning the ball. So if you, and it's inexplicable. So then the theorists are coming out to say, well, he hasn't got his he hasn't got his transfer request. He wants to move elsewhere. He's been told no, you're staying here. He gets put on the pitch. So after two minutes, he puts in a challenge, which is always ten times out of ten, unless you're Matty Cash against Southampton is going to get you sent off. So I just, I, and, and you know, if, if, if the lad hasn't meant it and, and he is naive and he really wants to have a good career at Southampton, then with every goal that went in, he would have been thinking, oh God, please don't, please don't get nine nil or worse. Please, you know, if we lose four nil, fine, you know, it happens. But just with, he sat in the changing room with every goal that went in, I bet he was feeling more and more sick than anyone. Um, and you don't want you don't want that for him. But as we've said, we've talked about it enough. But I just I don't have an explanation for it. You know, ball's not bouncing, not mistimed, um, and and he's not run into him. He's he's studied the guy, um, and it's a dangerous challenge. 
and he got that red card flamboyantly given by Mike Dean. Um, and that brings us on to the final topic of this podcast um, and one that's been burning a hole in my mind since Saturday and yesterday just compiled it. It, my, my, you know what? My problem, my problem isn't even massively with Mike Dean for what happened at Old Trafford. I'll tell you why. And, and even at Villa Park, because here's, here's how it is. The football, the game we know and love um, and are infatuated with, is, it doesn't exist anymore. We are watching a new sport that has a lot of similarities to football, but it is a new sport in the way that it is officiated because there, there are new rules to this game. You know, it's not just about VAR. The rules have changed. Handball is not handball anymore. Offside and onside is not offside and onside anymore. I mean, where, where, do, we, where do we start? Should we start with Aston Villa or should we start with what happened yesterday? I reckon we start with let, let's start at old let's start at Old Trafford and then we can build bring in the stuff that happened at Aston Villa because there's a point that I want to want to make and a general point over the two games. <laughs> One mistake with VAR in a match, I can take if it's an isolated incident. That is absolutely that, that, that it's annoying, but we've seen over the season it happens four times in two consecutive games with the two same officials is a disgrace I'd, I'd, I'd even call it five the um, Romeo one the Romeo the Romeo one and I'll tell you why that was GBH though mate that was GBH yeah. though mate uh, Mar Martinez is still recovering as Alex Ferguson would have said boy could have died I'll tell you what though he a fantastic impression that but I'd, that would have been made more of had there not been such a shit storm already um and it, it wasn't even checked. Like the replay was barely, it was barely even looked at. It was barely even talked about. VAR, I don't believe even got involved. And it was a goal and it was disallowed. If they'd looked at it, if the referee had gone over and looked, if Mike Dean hadn't been such an egotistical, egotistical maniac, he would have said to the referee, do you want to have a look at this before we disallow this goal? Because um, I'm not sure there's enough contact. And he might have had a look. I don't know about you, but other people have said the same thing when I've put this out on Twitter. I heard a whistle go before the goalkeeper, Romeo, and the ball were even in the same vicinity. And if you watch it back, um, and I, th I thought maybe it was just my telly, but someone else said the same thing. They said um, I, they thought it was just their TV was out of sync. They're so quick to protect goalkeepers. Anyway, I, I thought... I thought that was a goal and that wasn't even, that was the least of the five incidents. Um, we're talking Old Trafford first then. Tell me, tell me what you make of, well, we're, we're talking, there's two incidents that are almost identical. The two offsides. Let's, let's talk both of them. One of them, we've already discussed how important it would have been to Southampton to get that to 4-1. The other one was a 93rd minute equaliser that was chalked off. Both of them, because of their sleeves, Let's I want to start with Danny Ings. I know we said start with Old Trafford, but I want to start with Danny Ings. The thing that gets me about Ings is that he is offside because where his sleeve is. However, 
if he scores with that part of his body, it's disallowed for handball. Well, is it? Is it now, though? Because I don't, we don't know anymore. It's well, funny and- you go in, we're going to talk about Old Trafford, yes. or now I'll talk about Danny Ings, because it's such a mess. We don't know where to start with it. Because, I mean, obviously... If he, scores with his, if he scores with his shoulders, fine. But now they've done this whole sleeve thing, does this count if it's a handball in the box and, it hit, and it's deliberate and it hits that part of his body? Does that part of your body, is that now not considered handball? Is that now considered a part of your body that you can score with? Because in my opinion, and it makes logical sense, the only way you should be offside is if a part of your body that you can score with is offside. And as far as I'm aware, the top of your bicep does it is not included in that. Well, you're forgetting, of course, that if the ball um, goes into the slight vicinity of your knee or your chest, you're able to pick it up and throw it in the net now. Well, we'll get on to that. We'll get on to that. <laughs> One thing at a time. Steady on. <laughs> Steady on. Um, with Danny, Danny Ings. I mean, people. I've seen people say the law is the law. But if you're having to draw the line twice, as they did with Shea Adams and Danny Ings, if you're having to draw it twice and at both times... Both times you're looking at it from the naked eye, you're thinking, I can't tell. There is no, I, I can't tell. Shay Adams goal again, uh, Shay Adams goal last night. I keep on looking at the picture and I'm struggling to think of what part of Shay Adams is in front of a Man United defender. Yeah, with Shay was... Adams, I could tell. I could tell that he was onside. I looked at the it looks, like, it, looks, it looks like the line cuts off at his hand. You're well, thinking... the, well, the line the line is based on the foot of Harry Maguire and the foot. There's such a perfect line on that free kick because they haven't realised it's been taken quickly that it goes across about three different body parts at the same place. So that yellow line we've all seen is the line at which the last line of defence is. And from that angle, Jay Adams is behind them. I don't know why they keep using that angle and why they don't use a side-on angle where we can see you know, something that they can move. Regardless of that, he, I just do not see in a million years how he's offside. And you, you make what you've said leads me on to, to my main point about all of this. That is, to the naked eye, he's onside. I, I get VAR. I know why it's brought in. We all, well, a lot of some people didn't, but most of us wanted it in. Gabardini would have scored that goal in the cup final had we had VAR because he was obviously onside. What the problem, and, and there's not an issue with that. There's not an issue with referees looking back or someone looking back at a decision and saying, we got that one wrong, actually, he's on or he's off. That's what we want. What we don't want is some guy playing with Photoshop, drawing lines multiple times to try and see if someone's fingernail is offside. That isn't the game that we're playing. And I know lots of people have talked about all sorts of um, ways in which we can fix this. And everyone's got a different opinion, which obviously shows that we're not all in the same boat. <clears throat> but yesterday, for the first time, I've always been in the boat of, well, it's got to, it's got to be quantifiable. You can't just say he's, he's, he's offside, but he's not offside by much. So we'll let him have it. It's got to be, there's no grey area. It's got to be a yes or a no, which is why VAR goes into such minute detail. Until yesterday, and I was in that camp, I was like, either you have it or you don't. And we just run with the linesman again. <clears throat> but <clears throat> I, I would just scrap the whole line thing. 
I would scrap the minute detail. I would, the problem was we have TV uh, um, replays and we always have had. So he's given offside. We look at a, a paused TV frame of a replay and we'll go, he's onside actually, or he's offside actually. That's what the pundits do. That's what the fans do. Why can't the referees and linesmen do that? Why can't there be a goal and then they look at it without these finicky lines, they look at it with their naked eye and they just say, is there enough here for me to be convinced that the decision I made was right or wrong? I, I, even if they think oh, I might be onside and I've given offside, I just think stick with the on-field decision unless it was obviously wrong to the naked eye. If they, if, if, um, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know if it, the, the linesman gave offside or onside to Che Adams, but if they gave that goal because they thought he was on and they look at that replay and they look at it and they say, I can't see that he's offside without drawing all these stupid lines, then it's a goal. And no one can complain about that. The Danny Ings one, if they give offside and they look at that and they say, actually, there's a, actually he's on. I can see he's on. I'm a, I'm a professional linesman. I can see he's onside. I've got it wrong. Or, or it's really tight. We'll go with my original decision. Then fine. The difference is like, go back to the Gabardini one. That's a, they gave offside. They see the replay. They go, oh, my bad. He's on. He's clearly on. Give the goal. We don't need to go with all these stupid lines. And the other thing is the, the arm. The arm is not, it should be, it should be to the shoulder. It, it, no further. It, it's plain and simple. You cannot score with your, any part of your arm. So why a sleeve? People joke about vest tops. I would not be surprised if footballers started rolling up their sleeves to their shoulders deliberately because Che Adams is offside because he's pointing to where he wants the ball played. Do you see the Bamford one weeks back against Crystal Palace? You look at that <coughs> that's freeze frame, and I still can't see how it's offside, but because he's pointing to where he wants the ball played, he can't score with the finger he's pointing. So just 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 realise that the rest of his body is on sides behind the defender. I don't I don't care. I don't buy into this whole, you know, favour the attacker if you're unsure or whatever. I just think unless it is clear and obvious, and I know in some circumstances penalties and things that's that's a bit dubious but this is this is yay or nay this is clear and obvious um and, and what they do in cricket is they go with the umpire's call you've seen an lbw where it's not it's slightly hitting the wickets and some of it's not and they've gone it's not enough of a conclusive bit of evidence to show that the umpire was wrong so you go with the umpire's decision and that's accepted why don't they just do something like that why don't they just have that little gray area where unless they've obviously got it wrong, go with the on-field decision. Um, sometimes they'll get it wrong, sometimes they'll get it right, but it won't be by much. I feel that one thing that we have in other sports that we really should have, and I think it would make, I think one, it would make VAR decisions a lot more acceptable. And two, I want to know what they're talking about. We, I think... We should have the referee and the VAR assistant mic'd up and hear how they've come to that conclusion for a decision. Mic'd up. No, mic'd deemed up. Could be mic sponsored deemed. for a mic deemed. Yeah, that, yeah. That, and you know what? That brings us on. That brings me on to um, the, the penalty at Old Trafford. 
can I make one before we do that can I make one more point about Danny Ings because I don't this is what really gets me about Danny Ings if you look at the screenshot that they use to make the decision the ball is moving the ball is a blur it has left Bertrand's foot I don't know how fast Danny Ings is running at that point I don't think he's running at all but they are two things about that the ball is moving in that minute part of the second, Danny, someone may have moved. And yeah. also, if you, and if you look at the line of offside, and apparently it's to do with the camera and the way you're looking at it, but I made a, I made a point, we, from a tweet from the podcast. The line of offside is not parallel to the edge of the box. In fact, it's straight, whereas the edge of the box is, para, is, is slightly diagonal. Yeah. You then push that to the parallel lines. Danny Ings is suddenly onside. Now, again, I don't know if that's an effect of the camera. Some people offered some explanations saying that it's because of the way it is and you can't get the camera to be in direct line. But if that is what we're working on, then Danny Ings is onside. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be working with optical illusions to come to a, to a decision as to whether someone's on or offside. And I, I saw someone make the point about the ball. We, we always <clears throat> assume that's a foregone conclusion that they're freezing the frame at the correct time. We're looking at the line of the players, but I heard I heard that someone has said it's been done when the ball's already moved. Whether that was the Chad Adams or the Danny Ings goal, um, so so it's it's not necessarily VAR. It's the way in which it's being applied, but the angles are are all wrong. We get a better. I've I've never understood the angles that they use for offside or for anything that the referees look at. Because we get to see the TV angles and they are th- they're the best angles you can get. And then I see what the, the World Cup final where Perisic was given a handball and you watch the referee go and look at the monitor. The angle that he got to use to make that decision was the offside camera. So he was looking from the side of the pitch to Perisic, who was almost at the post, to see if the ball hit his arm. Whereas we had seen on the TV a close-up one where he wasn't looking, the ball came off someone's head right close to him, and there's nothing he could do about it. So it wasn't it wasn't a handball. And that brings me on to the point that I want to make about the penalty yesterday. I do not think that that is Mike Dean's fault. As much of an egotistical numpty that that bloke is, and how he's not he's not good enough to be a Premier League referee and he he wants he, he cares more about his facade than he does about actually implementing the game you know he's one of those that is is so sure of himself and so keen to to prove that he's not scared to make the big call i find that he often deliberately goes against the grain to make that call just so he could pr- puff his chest out and say yeah, I'm, I'm not scared to go to go with the um, with the alternative or to go with what people won't like. I think he's a, I think he's just an idiot to be honest, and he shouldn't be refereeing. And I bet he rubs players up the wrong way. Um, Armstrong will tell you that. But yeah, but the penalty incident. If you watch all, if if you really want to go back and watch any of that game again, if you go back and watch, I can I can forgive him for getting it wrong initially because it happens right. Then. VAR are looking at it and they can't make a decision somehow. Somehow they can't make a decision. We see that we've all seen that angle behind Martial where he goes down 
and then he kind of he leaves his leg and as he hits the ground there's slight contact it's a dive the guy's dived right he's even said it's not a penalty when i don't know if what you thought of this but when we got to we get to see what the referees look at when they're watching that monitor and mike dean went over <coughs> and he saw maybe two maybe three um quick glimpses of, of the of the angle that we needed and he obviously wanted to have a look to be conclusive because you know it's a big decision after maybe two quick frames or three it then took us to the offside angle from from halfway in the stand to the side of the penalty area as if we're trying to make a decision based on an offside and if you watch Mike Dean he hasn't made his mind up yet. He wants to see, he wants more clarification. He wants to see that first angle. And for about 10 seconds, he's looking at the screen of this offside angle, which gives you absolutely no information on whether there's contact. And he actually looks around, shrugs his shoulders, because he, he doesn't, and, and just kind of does a Mike Dean facial expression as if to say, give me, give me a, a, a replay where I can actually decipher this and and, make, and 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 it never comes so i i am a hundred percent sure that he was waiting for another replay from the first angle or a better angle than what he got went 10 seconds realized he was looking at an angle from miles away where you could only see martial you couldn't even see bednarak pointless and um and, and he even puts his finger to his ear and starts talking i don't know if he, i don't know if he can speak to the guys at stockley park or if um, he's talking to the linesman. I don't know what he's asking, but he, he's he's quite clearly not happy that he's got the conclusive evidence to make his decision. So he wants to have another look. He never, never gets that replay again. So he turns around from that pointless angle that he's been staring at for 10 seconds to try and think from those three quick frames earlier on, have I seen enough to say that my decision was clear and obviously wrong? No, I haven't. And as he turns away from that monitor, I could see it. I could see the look on his face. He doesn't know. He doesn't know if it's a penalty or not. Um, it's completely inconclusive from what he's been shown. And he's, he's, he's trying to figure out. He's trying to make his mind up as he's on the move towards the penalty spot. Because he hasn't done the whole VAR uh, gesture and pointing to the spot or anything. You could see the cogs moving in his head. And he's, he's thinking to himself... They haven't given me what I need from VAR here. Um, and in the end, from the information that he had, he did not have enough conclusive evidence to say that his decision to give a penalty was clearly and obviously wrong. We all had that and we all knew it. But the one guy who makes a decision doesn't know it. Why on earth they don't just tap into the TV replays? I'll never know. Um, and, and he ends up going and pointing to the spot incorrectly. Um, and I bet you he's probably looking at it since seeing the replays and going, well, actually, it's Mike Dean, so he's probably too stubborn to admit that he's wrong. But I think, he, I think he'd make a different decision if he got to see that replay as many times as he needed to. Um, and then the red card, unfortunately, I believe the rule is, unless you make a deliberate attempt to play the ball, which Bednarak didn't, then it's then it's a red card. Double jeopardy doesn't count. It's it, double jeopardy only counts if you've tried to play the ball and you can see the penalty. It's just a yellow, but he doesn't. 
He hasn't attempted to foul Martial. That's obvious. But by the letter of the law, Mike Dean has to send him off because he hasn't attempted to play the ball and he's given a penalty for a foul. So do you get... I, I don't know if you if you picked up on that or if you can remember what he was seeing on that screen, but do you get what I'm saying in that I'd, they've got all these angles available on TV and for a massive decision, he's given an angle, the worst angle in the entire stadium. It's like looking from the back of the stand. It's like me and you doing the commentary at the back of the Kingston stand and trying to figure out if there's a penalty in front of the away fans. That's what he was given. So how's he supposed to make a decision? That's, a that's, where, that's where VR for me is just falls flat on its face because you, you've, you've got the information there and we've all seen it from the TV. The only guy who doesn't have the info is the guy making the decision. Uh, I think I have a di- uh, I, pers- I personally feel that, I mean, I completely agree with you. He's, he's getting... He looks the when he went over to the VAR monitor. You only saw one. I only saw one angle that he was looking at when the camera was focusing on him. And I heard that the the monitor itself had like broken. It had just gotten frozen, and he just thought I'd make the decision. But that that explains the whole shrug of the shoulders as to like what's going on with this. It's not working. I just feel that if they've said you need to come and have a look at this, you may have got it wrong. That he's then. I mean, I, I I understand if you're given if you're not given the evidence to change your mind, then yeah, you've got to go with your gut. But I just feel that agreeing with what you say, we the supporters have better pictures than the team that are in charge of the game, and um, to make those informed decisions. I did see someone think that obviously Mike Dean had VAR take away a penalty that he'd given, and maybe he just didn't have <laughs> the he didn't want he, he didn't have the pride to take away yet another one and he had to he had to give it because he didn't want to be proven wrong uh twice and i feel that mike dean is it, it could be it could be man united against liverpool but if mike dean's refereeing it it's the mike dean show he has to make it about himself he's got a massive ego and quite frankly i agree with you i don't know why he's refereeing in the premier league and i don't know lee mason and mike dean how are they allowed to ref to be a part of the officiating team of two games in a row? And then when the stuff happens in them, in two games in a row, I want to know if they're officiating for the next weekend. Because well, there's the, the news going round. I mean, first and foremost, yeah, it's odd that they're appearing for the same team two weeks in a row especially considering what happened in the Villa game, a change should have been made. The The talk now is, and the reports are, that Southampton have made an official um, appeal and complaint against them and have asked that neither are able to officiate Southampton games in the future. Now, I don't know if... I, you know, I very much doubt that they'll start facilitating those sorts of things because suddenly you do that for one team then another team doesn't want another ref and another one doesn't want another and it becomes a, a bit of a circus and, and really difficult to schedule. I remember when um, I think that came about when Klattenberg said something of nothing to, to Lalana, and we said that we don't want him officiating anymore and it turns out they just said that Adam Lalana had gotten big time um, and he wasn't wrong. So, I, I, yeah, I don't... I, I think following that, and that, like you said, four decisions, five decisions in two games... Just for now, 
they need to call it off. They need to realise that they, there's some serious pressure on them, on the referees, um, on, on the whole governing body who deals with all of this. They're getting it wrong consistently. And there are there's one club that's very unhappy after the last two games as to what's been going on, that's Southampton. And they don't want those to officiate in. And I get why. Last decision we want to talk about before we um, before we finish this rant is the Matty Cash handball. Tell me everything you want to tell me about that decision. Because that, that was the very first one of, of five. Six minutes into Saints against Aston Villa, we think, God, we've been playing. Not We haven't had the rub of the green. Matty Cash has just produced uh, an Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain-esque save with his left hand. And... You know, it's uh, it's as clear as day. You know that when you have Jamie Carragher agreeing with you and even like Alan Smith and Martin Tyler going like, well, they're going to be awarded a penalty here, clearly. If they're saying that before it's even given and then you see Lee Mason give it the other way. it I was, as I said in my tweet on Saturday, I was baffled, well and truly baffled because the explanation came that it took a deflection off his of a part of his body i saw that replay at different speeds so many times and i still do not know what part of his body it has come off of and even if it has even if it has his hand has is is making his silhouette bigger he is actually as, as the official terms go on he is his hand is literally out to block the ball he hasn't you know that it's not a natural reaction to put your hand out. If play, you see players so many times now with their hands held tightly behind their back when that kind of thing happens, and they put their chest forward. His hand is—he's almost making himself into a bit of a starfish, like a goalkeeper save. And I am staggered as to how, as I said, VAR is not the problem in terms of the tech works. Um, the majority of the time it's the people in charge of interpreting it it's still down to human error and when 99.9 percent of people watching the game are thinking that's a handball then what 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 do you do i mean it it's kicked off it's kicked us off for the all of the decisions over the past couple of games and he's practically gordon banksed it yeah, this this one is the one that just makes me question what they all do, to be honest. But, I mean, after yesterday as well, I was thinking, I don't even know if I want to watch as much of this game as I, as I do, because it's not the game that we've watched for so many years. Um, and that's not just because, you know, it obviously is emotional attachment because it's happened to Saints. But I've heard fans of other clubs saying because of the Saints decision saying it's an absolute joke now you know how this is working it's not football um Mike Dean again here in VAR he has made and fans aren't gonna like this by the rules that I'm hearing um and in an interpretation is 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 as an important word here because interpretation of the rule here seems to be different to everywhere else but the the ruling i believe is that if it hits any part of the body before it hits the arm it isn't a penalty that is the biggest load of crap i've ever heard in my life that that counts if like 
it hits someone's leg and then comes up and hits their arm outstretched and it's completely deviated where the ball is going from like from a yard away at quick succession you can't do anything about it but get that they have once again replayed this a million times with a fine tooth comb to see if it is brushed off of his thigh which it has it's hit his thigh and slightly it hasn't flicked up onto his arm it's slightly it's, it's brushed his leg and it's hit his arm I think it's hit, it's going to hit his arm regardless of whether it hits his leg that's what's important here it hasn't deviated it it's a shot on target which might go in we don't we don't know and and again this was like the Che Adams one where I watched the replay because I didn't I didn't notice it in, in quick time you know it was a quick shot and they were all complaining about it and I thought oh right we'll see what the R says and um and it was it, it was clear as day the guy I described it as he he he'd gone full Schmeichel he'd done the starfish it was a fantastic save if Martinez makes that save we're howling at it, it he's he stops the ball from going in the goal by deliberately blocking it with his outstretched arm what more do you need to make a decision but the rules are wrong and I heard somewhere the other day I think on radio that they average about um I think four or five rule changes a year generally with football. And in the past five years, there've been 150 odd. So like 30, 30 a, a year, you know, average. It's not the same game anymore. And they keep doing the rule changes because they keep cocking it up with the change of rule in the first place. I mean, how many times they've changed the handball rule partway through the season? It was a farce earlier on. I don't know where you go with the rules because they they are trying to they're trying to be so specific with the rules. You can't you cannot make rules that um, that cover every single scenario. You've just got to look at that as a referee and realise that it's handball. But what is handball anymore? And that's the problem. Um, and Mike Dean, by letter of the law, I, I believe, has made the decision. To you know, word for word, the decision that it's not handball um, because it's flicked off his thigh, and and the rules that he has to he has to go by, you know, he's covering his own back. If he goes, actually, no, that's not ham. No, that is handball. It has flicked his thigh, and the rules say if it flicks your, your, your thigh first, then it's your hand. Then it shouldn't be given. But I'm going against that because I can see it with my naked eye. I can see it's a handball. He he then doesn't have a leg to stand on if 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 you know his boss says why have you given that because this that is not the rule he they've got to follow the rules um, and the guys writing them don't know their ass from their elbow um, and neither does the referee because <laughs> clearly hit him on the on the inside of the elbow so yeah I I, I don't I don't I don't get it um, and uh, interestingly I think if Lee Mason did see it with his own eyes which he should have. And if there wasn't VAR, you'd be expecting that he'd be on it and he would have seen that. I don't think it would have been overturned. Um, well, it is Mike Dean, though, and he is he does like the limelight. One thing I've just remembered for the Matthew Cashing is Lee Mason didn't give a penalty. It, it, it's, a, it's a clear handball, and he hasn't. He get the original decision that he gave was offside from Danny Ings trying to poke it in afterwards. The fact yeah, that he so hasn't, not, so it's not a clear and obvious decision for Mike in Mike Dean's eyes by the rules to overturn the original referee's decision to not give handball. 
Whereas if he did give handball, I wonder if they would have gone, yeah, it's not obvious enough to overturn it. One point I really want to make before we wrap up the rant, as it were, is that, and this is this is an opinion that I've held for quite some time, referees as a, um, as a body, referees of football are far too protected. You can't say anything bad about them without getting a fine slapped on you. And they get things wrong regularly. And I feel that it's one of the most protected jobs in the world where you can get keep on getting things wrong and still be refereeing the next big game, another Premier League game next weekend. You and I... If, yeah. I think if we, if we were that... Um, that poor at our jobs, then we'd probably get be given a P45, wouldn't we, if we made that many mistakes? And most most would. The problem is, no one wants that job because it's such a such a, a not just a difficult job, but the amount of abuse you're going to get for it is probably not worth it. Um, but yeah, I, I think just to just to to finalise on that, um, VAR, I think, is needed but it isn't needed as much as they are using it and they're using it in the wrong way. It should be something plain and simple. None of these drawing lines is too finicky. It's too particular. They just need to look at it. They just need a second look to go, have another look at this. Do you still think it's offside? No, I don't overturn it then because you know what as well, that will make the decisions quicker, which is the other issue. I know we haven't got the crowd there anymore, but to have someone drawing these lines on and off and trying to decide if there's a millimetre offside, instant look. Do you still think this is offside? No, I don't anymore. Okay, as the linesman, we'll go with that because we've given you a second opportunity. If you've got it wrong again, then then you don't get to you don't get to linesman in the, in the Premier League the next weekend because it's easy to miss it once, but we've given you a freeze frame and you've still interpreted it incorrectly then there's an issue with the official. It's just as simple as that. And it's the same officiating team, well, the same duo, two games in a row. And I thought, okay, maybe we'll get some rubber the green against Man United. I don't expect, I'm not expecting them to give us a penalty that's not a penalty or anything like that. But uh, again, final bit, going back to the Shea Adams goal, it's a pointless goal. It's not going to change the game. We're still going to lose. We're still going to get battered. And they still disallow it. They still go out of their way to disallow it. And I get, oh, but, you know, by the letter of the law, it's offside. It's not offside. There is no part of Shea Adams' body that he can score with that is offside. Uh, but again, I don't want to go re-go over the stuff that we've already gone over and ranted. All I can say in a positive manner is I hope that Takumi Minamino channels his inner Messi. Yeah. He's going to need to. Just to go on that point as well that you said, by the letter of the law it's offside, then the law is wrong. Simple as that. But we do have Newcastle at the weekend. Um, I'm hoping that we might be able to put together an 11 of known players on the pitch um, and Ralph gets the opportunity to bounce back with his side from that abysmal performance um, just yesterday. We've gone on for a while. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed this. If anything, it's been an exercise for me and Tom just to uh, to vent and to rant and to do what every other um, Southampton fan 
has been doing for the last 24 hours and since the Villa game. Um, by all means, once we put this out, use the comments pay, uh, the comments part to vent yourself uh, because uh, I do feel slightly better for it. Um, but yeah, we, we've got to look forward. Hopefully we get that appeal turned around for Bednarak, although the way things are going, I, I just don't see how the officials are going to make the right decision ever. Um, they'll back one of their own. And uh, yeah, hopefully Bednarak is in and we have a, a fit pair of centre-halves minimum. Um, and Minamino, like you said, turns up um, and is uh, as popular with the fans as one Mario Shida once was. Absolutely. I mean, we'll hear the press conference on Thursday. Um, and judging by what the situation is then, Callum, you and I may be having to dust off our boots to and ask if we can play just to sit on the bench and make up the numbers. Um, but of course, your alter ego will be in uh, in charge for Newcastle's front line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they'll have a lot to deal with, um, as we will every game. Um, we're not going to do a preview of it because we've spent far too much time um, ranting about everything in the last game. But yeah, uh, we, we hope that uh, we, we don't have to sit through another one of those ever again. We said that after the Leicester game. Um, and it's just one, it's happened now. Saints fans, and we've just got to we just got to get our chins up and uh, and go on with it. But I think from from all of this, um, we need a change at the top, and we need a change in football to put it somewhere near to what it used to be. Uh, thanks for listening. Hope you're keeping safe. Um, I've been Callum Wilson. You can catch me at Callum Wilson twenty one on Twitter. Uh, I'm Tom Murray. You can find me at T214 Murray. You can find the podcast on Twitter at under underscore saints. And as always, stay safe, stay wonderful. <laughs>